I brought with me something this morning <clears throat> that very few people have ever seen. Uh, this is this is my 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 prayer book. I <clears throat> I use it to uh, stay focused as I pray, to be systematic in my prayer. And I wanted to share parts of it with you this morning because I think it's important, um, but it, 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 it also helps with the sermon. So, <clears throat> The first page of my prayer notebook, I have here, I don't know how many, I've never counted it, but I have many attributes of God. And I start with meditating on, I usually pick out randomly <clears throat> two or three uh, different attributes, and I just kind of meditate on those. And then the next page, I have a quote here that I, I read uh, every time I open this. It says, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Then I start to pray for myself. Certain needs that I have, uh, wisdom, Compassion, health, a teachable spirit, a pure thought life, and it goes on. Then I pray for my wife and my kids and my grandkids daily. Then I get to a section where Monday through Thursday I pray for Extended family, family aunts, uncles, cousins. And, and then I, I have families within our church that I pray for, Monday through Thursday. And then I get to Friday. Friday. Friday is an interesting day in my prayer book because this is the day that I pray for everybody who hates me. That, that, that may sound strange, but I'm here to tell you, if you are doing right, People are not going to like you. And if you're going to be in ministry, you're going to find people that don't like you. And you need to learn how to love them and pray for them. And then Saturday, I... Pray for missionaries that I know around the world. <clears throat> and Sunday, I pray for pastors that I know. This is my book. And the, the reason that I, I brought this book today was to not necessarily show you, but to kind of maybe put a thought in your mind, because how you pray is... Vital. But that's not what we're talking about today. As several years ago, well, I shouldn't say several, a couple years ago, periodically I go through and I I refresh it and update it and different things. And I had not updated or refreshed my attributes of God. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend some time in, in my devotion time. I spent, I spent some time going through the attributes of God. And I, I pulled up different resources that I have. And I started 
going through the, the different attributes of God that most theologians recognize. And, and I came across one that was very different. But for the most part, most theologians recognize the following. This is, it's not an exhaustive list, but this is what most theologians will tell you. Uh, he's eternal. His, his holiness. He's immutable, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, omniscient, infinite, all-wise, self-existent, self-sufficient, love, gracious, merciful, just, sovereign, and he is a jealous God. But as I was going through this list and looking at different theologians, I came across a theologian that brought up an attribute I had never thought about. But before I tell you that, let me ask you a question. Why should you start with the attributes of God? Let me help you. The Lord's prayer model that he gave us, how does it start? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts with the holiness of God and attributes. And I think the model that Jesus gave us was a model that he set forth to help us get in our sin-filled minds the, the wonderfulness of God. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And A.W. Tozer wrote this in his book about the attributes of God. He said, love casts out fear. And when we know we are loved, we are not afraid. Whoever has God's perfect love, fear is gone out of the universe for him. See, the attribute of God is the attributes of God are a place that we can run to when we're hurting. We can go there when life is upside down, when we don't know what to do. So I probably, if you're anything like me, you're probably trying to come up with the one attribute that I had never thought of. And as I read this attribute, I thought, I, my first thought was, what? And then when I started reading and following and, and starting to understand what this theologian was talking about, it made perfect sense. And that is this, the attribute of simplicity. I'd never thought about that before. The theologian was not saying that God is simple. That's not what he was saying. But what he was saying is the things of God are simple. We as, as human beings like to complicate everything. But the things of God are not complicated. See, we, we attach words like immutable and omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient 
to theological attributes of God. But when you break down these strange words, they're simple principles. The immutability of God is, just means he's unchanging. The omnipotent, all-powerful God. That's an easy concept for most people to understand. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Most people get that. Now let me tell you this. I'm sitting down here with a bunch of pastors down here. And I don't know about the churches they pastored, but my church is full of normal people. Right? And the average person, and I hope this comes across right, please don't think I'm being irreverent at all. But the average person in my church, honestly, doesn't care that God's omnipotent. They want to know that he's all-powerful. Am I right? It's not complicated. We complicate it. Why did Jesus come? Really simple. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who did he come to save? Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. And Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I, I have a commercial for you. When I, when I, when I left here, 15 years ago. <laughs> Crazy how it's been that long. One of the first families that my, my wife and I visited was a, a family, uh, is a husband and wife. And, you, you know, you, you, again, you got to understand where I'm at. I'm in rural Nevada, okay? And it, 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 it can get rough where we live, Okay. But this guy came to our church, and he and his wife, the very first Sunday, we went to visit him, and <clears throat> I don't know how to describe this guy. He would be the quintessential biker dude, okay? I mean, he looked it. He sounded like it. I mean, just that's what he was. In fact, he, he and I used to ride motorcycles together. Had a really, uh, never mind. Um, <clears throat> anyway... Here, here I'm, I, I walk into their home, and before I can actually get seated into the couch, he asked me, are you a Calvinist or Arminianist? Are you kidding me? You even know how to spell those words? I don't, you know. Calvinism is alive and well. And let me give you a secret about Calvinism. 
Calvinism complicates the gospel. And it complicates the things of God. And that in itself shows you that Calvinism is wrong. That was a free commercial, by the way. The title of my message is The Simplicity of God. The Simplicity of God. Psalm chapter 19. Let's start reading in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we need you this morning. We definitely, desperately need you today. Help us, dear God, to never forget that. We love you and thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Point number one this morning. These points are going to be very, very simple. I was sharing with the guys yesterday. I'm not a, I'm not a, a deep theologian. <laughs> I just, I love God. I love Jesus. And I love to share his word. Not a, not a complicated message today. Just a simple, ser- simple sermon that will hopefully encourage your heart. Point number one. The simplicity of God reveals your heart. The simplicity of God reveals your heart. Here in the passage we just read in Psalm chapter 19, we are given six things that are more precious than all the gold in Fort Knox. Six things that God has made available to us that are precious. The most precious things on earth. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they. What what is the word they? Those six things. See, the simplicity of God reveals our hearts. It, it, It shows us what motivates us. What what consumes your thinking during the day? Now, I I realize that most of you spend a lot of time in class, but you have a lot of time where you have the ability to think about what you want. 
What consumes your mind? What do you think about? Do you think about the things of this world? Or are you consumed with Jesus Christ? See, the simplicity of God reveals our hearts. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. That's not complicated. It's really pretty simple. You tell me what you think about all day. And I can tell you what your heart looks like. Nate Saint, missionary killed in Ecuador, said this. And people who do not know the Lord, ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expanding, uh, excuse me, expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, we'll have, uh, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. What are, you, what are you spending your life on? It's not complicated. Psalm chapter 116, verse 6, The Lord <clears throat> preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. The simplicity of God, number one, reveals the heart. Number two, the simplicity of God gives us hope. Psalm chapter 43 and verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Just look at the attributes of God sometime and just sit, sit down sometime and just go through the attributes of God. He's unchanging. He's all-powerful. He's, he's everywhere at the same time. He's love. He's gracious. He's sovereign. And go through the list and every single attribute of God will give you hope. Every single one. When you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're, you've lost a loved one, when life happens, you can run to the attributes of God and you can find hope. When nothing in this world can give you hope, you can find hope. 
John chapter 16 and verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you, will, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Anxiety and fear are a result of a disconnect from God. When our hope is in Jesus Christ, we will never be hopeless. Number three, the simplicity of God saves our souls. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is not complicated. It's not complicated. I have to be careful what I say here because the adoption is not complete yet, but my, my daughter is in the process of adopting five kids. Talk about insanity. I mean, her and her husband went from zero to 60 in two seconds. But the oldest two, eight and six, Okay. <laughs> been in the home, been in their home, what, eight months? They're both saved. It's not complicated. It's, it's really pretty simple. Melanie has a, has a dear friend who, her husband is not saved. He is an engineer, very, very logical thinker. And he has never gotten saved because his attitude is it can't be that simple. Well, I've got bad news for him. It is. It's not complicated. The first thing that we need to realize is that God loves us. John chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God loves you. The second thing that we need to realize is that we're all sinners. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number three, we must realize that there's a price for that sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm going to stop right here and I'm going to, I'm going to say something because as I was preparing this message, I thought, I, why do I need to go through the gospel in this setting? And to realize 
that I'm a statistics guy. I, I, love, I love charts and statistics. The way my, my little pea brain works, it, I, it helps me to connect with things when I, when I can see them visually. And I love statistics. And statistics tell me that there are probably at least four or five young people sitting in this auditorium right now that don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I was here for seven and a half years. And I can't tell you how many young people I, got say, I, I saw get saved sitting in these chairs. Let me tell you, the gospel is not complicated. You're a sinner and you need to get saved. You know it. Many of you who are not saved can even tell me how to get saved. You're just too afraid of swallowing your stinking pride and yielding to the, to, the, to the one who can save you. Think about that. Statistics tell us that there are four or five young people sitting here that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God loves you. He died for you because there's a price to be paid. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commandeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with, the ma- excuse me, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It, it's not complicated. It's not. All you have to do is give your life to him, and he will change your life. Number four, the simplicity of God reveals our hearts, gives us hope, saves our souls, and it helps us grow. Helps us grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. I realize the audience I'm speaking to. And I hope and pray that the majority of you are are pursuing a career in ministry. That's my hope and my prayer. Don't let this become a textbook. Don't let it become a textbook. Right, guys? This book is full of precious promises for you and for me. This book will change your life. But the danger that we all fall into, and, I, and, and even pastors can fall into this, 
I mean, you think about it, okay? Think about this. Pastors are paid to study the Bible. Does it get any better now? But what can happen? We can lose our passion for the book. Don't let that happen. I love Paul's humility because he understood the fact that nothing matters but Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and following says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that uh, he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touch, touching uh, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yet, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. That I might win Christ. Nothing matters but Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51 has, over the years, has become my life verse. Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 1 says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from whence you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from whence you were digged. And I oftentimes love to share this verse with people, and oftentimes I get a reaction like, wow, that's like your life verse. But let me share to you, share with you this morning what God has given me through this precious, precious verse. It starts off with the word hearken. And what Isaiah is doing here, he's trying to get our attention. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Hearken unto me, unto, unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. I like to put myself in that category. I hope and pray that that is the heartbeat of my life, that I am searching and seeking God in my life, looking and trying to live the most righteous life that I can. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, 
ye that seek the Lord. Then the next phrase. Look unto the rock from whence you were hewn. Look unto the rock. Who's the rock? Talk to me. Jesus Christ is the rock. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. He is the rock of the desert. He is the rock that the Israelites followed through the wilderness. Jesus Christ is our rock. Look unto the rock from whence you were hewn. Then it says, and to the hole of the pit from whence you were digged. And I'll be honest with you, many years ago when I started looking at this verse and God started dealing with me on this verse, I thought, what in the world is the hole of the pit from whence you were digged? Then I realized the pit is humanity. And the whole of the pit is my life. See, God dug me out of the pit. And my hole is different than Brother Spencer's hole. And that's about it. I don't know anybody else. No, I'm teasing. No, seriously. Everybody comes from a different hole within the pit. And Isaiah here is saying, look unto the rock from whence you were hewn, into the hole of the pit from whence you were digged. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 2 says, He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Look unto the hole of the pit from whence you were digged. Hearken unto me. Hearken unto me. Ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock. From whence you you were. Look unto the rock. From whence you were hewn. To the hole of the pit. From whence you were digged. I love this verse. Because it is a constant reminder. That God never wants me to forget where I came from. He says to look unto the rock from whence you are hewn, to the whole of it. So he wants us to remember where he's brought us from. Never forget what God has done in your life. How many of you grew up in Christian homes? Truthfully, I feel sorry for you, in a way. See, it's no trouble for me to remember the pit that God drugged me out of. I was an alcoholic. I was on my way down. My brother committed suicide in prison when I was 16 years old. And I was going the exact same direction my brother was going. See, I have, no, I have no problem remembering the horrible pit that God dug me out of. 
But my wife grew up very different, much like many of you did. Very good, solid Christian home. But I'm here to tell you, God dug her out of a horrible pit too. Never forget. I have the opportunity once a month to... I shared this yesterday, but every once a month I go out to a prison, <clears throat> Lovelock Prison in, in uh, Nevada. You would be shocked. You would be shocked how many of the guys that I minister to every month grew up in good Christian homes just like you. And you know why they're there? Because of a couple bad choices. And you tell me that you'll never end up there. You better stand by. Because pride cometh before fall. We are all capable. And that horrible pit that God dug us out of is exactly that. It is a horrible pit. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians, and I'll be done. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if you underline in your Bible, let me encourage you to underline this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent <clears throat> beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What does Satan want to do? He wants to corrupt your mind. He wants to complicate the things of God in your life. But the things of God are simple. It's not complicated. What does your prayer life look like? What does your, your, your quiet time in the Word of God look like? Is it a, a box that you check off in the morning? Or is it, is it something you wake up looking forward to? See, the things of God are not complicated. They're very, very simple. But we allow the circumstances of life and all the peripheral things to overtake the things of God. There's nothing complicated about God's love for you and me. It reveals our hearts, gives us hope, saves our souls. 
and it helps us grow. Simple message.